Welcome. Thank you for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. We made it all the way to episode 408. I'm your host, Bob Walton Spiel. Hanging out, producer Randy Walker. Guest this week, serial entrepreneur, author, all-around fun guy, um, volunteer king, one of them at least in the city of Detroit, Mr. Tom Nardone. How you doing, sir? Great, Bob. Randy, great to be here. Good, good. Find us online, itinthed.com. Do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts or sold. Uh, this week, uh, the one and only uh, third Thursday meetups, Nancy Whiskey. It's the third of three. Uh, find us at 5 o'clock on the 19th. That's this Thursday. Um, we'll be out in the patio hanging out with IT folks. No speakers. No cover charge. Just a bunch of guys and gals talking shop. So, yeah, hope, hope to see you out there. And... Greg and Greg are relaunching the Ann Arbor chapter. So find them at Zingerman's on Tuesday, September 5th at five o'clock. They'll be yeah, on the Zingerman's. And also this weekend, I'm not going to be there because I got to go to a wedding in Chicago. Astronomicon this weekend. Whole slew of guests. Uh, the Magnum Party at Whiskey in the Jar. Ming Chen will be a guest bartending around 11 o'clock at night. Uh, go check it out. It's a great. Uh, we had August on last week talking about the charity. But yeah, if you're not out there, um, if you're out in Hamtramck or Ann Arbor's Astronomicon, it's uh, one of my favorite cons of the year, and I hope you can make it out. And I'm sad that I won't be there. So, Tom, I don't know where I need to start with you. I've met you, I want to say, 20-some-ish years ago, um, where you founded uh, still one of my favorite ideas of all time, shopinprivate.com. Shopinprivate.com, the world's most private store. And... Uh, you it was basically you know the stuff you were too embarrassed to go to Walgreens and buy. You would basically it was like brown bag it for like weird stuff from the drugstore. Right. It was long before uh, you could buy things. Like there were very few retailers online. Amazon sold only books. Uh, there were no online drugstores, and Shop and Private sold private items: hemorrhoid creams, condoms, depend undergarments, and the like. So one of my favorite, I always, I like to brag about you. And I said, uh, someone talked about, I forget what it was, like vibrators.com. I go, that's my friend's Tom's store. Yep. Like, you are kidding me. He owns that domain. I go, he owns that domain. That is true. Yeah, the shop and private business was a lot of fun for a while. But then the big competitors came in, you know. I remember drugstore.com raised, I think it was $700 million. And they lost it all. Given away really for less than cost. Yeah, they just they had really low pricing and all this, you know, free twenty five dollars free with a fifty dollar order type stuff. Right. And, and we were trying to compete with them, and there was just it was so hard to compete that we shifted over, took the embarrassing products angle, and shifted over to Bachelorette.com, which was Bachelorette Party Supplies, and Vibrators.com, which is Vibrators. And that's so the, and those the funny thing is. Are, are thriving today. Nice. The funny thing that Wait, not, you said you said thriving, throbbing, yeah, yeah, throbbing today. Well, yeah, Randy. <laughs> um, the thing that gets to me is like as soon as Amazon went free two day shipping, it's like any other retailer that shipped in three days, like people like got mad, like yeah. they 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 made so many people spoiled. People, yeah, people have high expectations. Before that, a week, ten days was not unusual. But with Prime, boy, you better have your act together. Yeah. That's what it. did you do? To, did you do anything to keep up or you just do what you do? You know, we were always really good. We, we've always been um, – there's no lag here. Like with our company, if you order by 3 p.m. Eastern time, it's on a truck at 4. So a lot of companies for some reason have like a delay. And we never under, I never understood a delay. I, I went to engineering school. I understand the logistics of it. We, we're ready to go. You order, we ship it. So we wanted to get into some feature stuff, but I need to talk about this because I love it. You got into you get into so much stuff. You're like you and Andy Diderosi need to have a contest for who gets into more stuff. Yeah, I, um, He's, I, I can see that title to him. But you were on Conan back in the day for like make for like making pumpkins. Like, yeah. how the hell did you start that? Oh, jeez, my extreme pumpkins. That's my brand. Bob. You got a book. You got a book too. Three. I wrote three best. Oh my. Yeah, I sold half a million books. Jeez. <laughs> Which is a lot of books. Like, everybody, some people who know what that's about would be like, what? Um, I started carving pumpkins at my house when I lived in Ferndale. I uh, lived in this neighborhood. There are a lot of trick-or-treaters. 
and I tried to be like the crown, the clown prince of pumpkins. And I just came up with a, developed a bunch of silly pumpkin tricks. Did you ever see the puking pumpkin? And like, oh yeah. Well, the guts. I invented that. You did not. I invented that pumpkin. There's I, a number of pumpkins I, did, I invented. I did that for like three years in a row. I, you ever see one with like carrots that make a mohawk, big spiky mohawk? I did not. I Maybe I did. One. Yeah, I've invented a bunch of pumpkins. That was my skill and trade. Take regular household items, turn them into great jack-o'-lanterns. And then the website is extremepumpkins.com. And uh, so I got a book deal. And then uh, first I got on TV, like local TV and then CNN. And then I got a book deal. And then the book company got me on big TV, like, like Live with Regis and Kelly was the first one I ever did. And, and, uh, and then that turned the books into bestsellers. So then I got a second book, same deal, TV, 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 bestseller. Third book, TV, 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 bestseller. I got to do the rounds. It was a lot of fun. So that uh, typically with authors, are for are they forcing you to put out more content? Are you done with that, or is that still a thing? Yeah, there's we beat that horse till it was deader than dead. <laughs> Me, Penguin Publishing was my publisher. We beat that horse dead. We even tried to. I even did proposals for like a crazy turkey book and a crazy Halloween. I mean, crazy Christmas ideas book, and they're like, nah. <laughs> right. So I walked away. I got. I did. We all did really well. Like the people, they're still my friends. I still talk to them, even though it's been a decade since. Half a million books is bananas. That's like, isn't that like Ben Shapiro level? Like, not to. I yeah. Uh, I know. At one point, I was walking out of a um, talk show, and my publisher from my person. The there's a person called a publisher. That's like the person in charge of you. She called me and told me that my book was number 15 on Amazon. Period or in a certain category? Total. Jeez. It was like goes by the hour. So I'd just been on TV, you know. Uh, that was just wild. Was about- but still, our podcast was number one on SoundCloud for about three days. So yeah, that was on technology, though. Yeah, that's Pod- yeah. podcasts that were do- done on Monday. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it was real small. Uh, but I'm not sure my books have aged all that well. I think what happens, it's like a joke book in a way. Like the idea you come up with and goes in this book is novel for a year or two. But then after with everybody else sees those same pumpkins, like the idea is to make a cute pumpkin no one's ever seen before. But then everybody, you put it in a book or put it on the website, everybody carves it. And then it's all over social media. And then people see it and it's not novel. You have uh, you read truly tasteless jokes lately? Yeah, no, but yeah, that sounds like it, right? Like it's just the same joke over it, and over again. It doesn't age well. Yeah, it's like the whole, you know, yeah. I, I saw an interview once with that Jackie the Joke Man. He used to be on Howard Stern. Oh, sure. And they were talking about apparently he had a beef with Rodney Dangerfield, and Howard said, "Why do you have a beef with Rodney Dangerfield?" And he says, "Because I wrote a joke for Rodney." And Roddy didn't pay me for it. This is like that long-standing beef over Right. So Howard said, what's the joke? And Jackie said, the joke was the double bagger joke. Like, my wife thinks I'm so ugly that she wears a bag in case the bag over my head falls off. <laughs> right? That's right? the joke. But that joke, the double bag joke, I was like, really? Jackie, the joke man, wrote that joke? And Howard was like... That's that joke's been around for decades. Like I've heard that joke a million times. And Jack said, You might have heard it a million times, but I invented it. And I was like, That's right. Somebody has to make these things original, you know? And just Jackie the joke man, he that guy probably had to work every day of his life because as soon as you tell the joke, it's old news. That, that was one of my favorite WMV files back in the early days of the internet. Was uh, the Jackie the joke man telling the the penguin takes his car to the shop joke? Uh huh. Yeah, blue you know. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's just ice cream. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, see, you and I, we both know it. You know, right, right. The first time you heard that joke, you're probably on the floor laughing. Oh, that was. I must have played it three thousand times. Yeah. And then when uh, the Man Show reenacted it with chimpanzees, that's uh-huh. the classic one that's on YouTube right now. That you know, it never gets old. Um, so one of the things we always we used to lovingly mock you behind your back, of course, but now uh-huh. I'm telling you publicly. Was I love what you guys are doing with the mower gang, 
But we used to always laugh, like, how bad off is the city of Detroit when you need to have a bunch of guys from the suburbs to come in and mow your grass? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Um, well, they're getting a lot better because there's less and less grass for us to mow. The Mower Gang, for people who don't know what we're talking about, the Mower Gang is a volunteer group that on Wednesday nights goes out and we bring up, like we towed our lawn tractors into Detroit and we drink beer and we mow abandoned parks and playgrounds. Now, I know it sounds weird to think there's abandoned playgrounds, but there are. They're usually like shuttered elementary schools where there's playground equipment and people live nearby, but nobody's like nobody's on the docket to mow the grass. So we go out on Wednesdays after work and we drink beer and eat Little Caesars $5 pizzas and we, uh, we cut the grass. And it's kind of fun. But uh, we used to have like 30 parks that we could choose from, you know. And nowadays we're down to slim pickets. Was well, it like sponsored by, by Shield or something? Or something? Um, we had, we've had various sponsors. It's been 11 years. I've been doing the motor game for 11 years. So our first sponsor was Husqvarna. Um, and then our second sponsor was Craftsman, and uh, that was a good one. They made a movie. They made like a short film about us, like a long, long commercial. And they they donated a lot of stuff. They donated like seven lawn tractors and twenty thousand dollars worth of hand tools and all this other stuff. No, it's, it's, you, know, it's, you know, I still it's, think it's kind of awesome that you guys were doing that. You know, we like I said, we lovingly mocked you, but at this at the end of the day, it was you know. If you weren't doing it, no one was. So it's kind of like hats off to you. Yeah. People would say, oh, you should bring your volunteer group to this town. I'm like, that town doesn't need it. Right. Detroit's the only place I know of that can't mow the parks or couldn't mow the parks. No, it always drives me nuts when you, when you go down Detroit and like, why can't you edge like on the side of the highways on service drives? And it's like, I look at the trash, the amount of trash. Oh, crazy. Well, I tell a story. Um, my Cadillac, I didn't know how to read the gas gauge because I'm an idiot. I got a 76 Cadillac and I ran out of gas on 59 and I had to walk from between Crooks and Rochester. I had to walk back and it was boring and it was a hundred degrees out and I'm, you know, I'm big dude. Yeah. So I started counting stuff on the side of the road and I got up to oh, well over 150 um, one ounce schnapps bottles oh, yeah. <laughs> and at least 250 whippets can, uh, empty canisters. Yeah, we see a lot of those. How many short, sweets um, packages did you see? Switcher sweets, not many. Oh, that's what we see a lot of blunt, you know, because they make blunt. Rolls. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they take off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when I originally introduced you, I, I, I you know, I call you a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, the uh, your latest venture intrigued me because uh, you know I got a follow that could probably use it. Yeah. But I, you know, I guess walk me through a what it is and in. in how you came to this, because it's unlike anything you're doing. Right, right. Well, um, in December, I sold the Bulletproof Vest company that I started years ago. So aside from the Bachelorette.com and the Vibrators.com business, I, I had started this Bulletproof Vest company, which was my engineering background. I had been a test engineer for a helicopter company and blah, blah, blah. So I grew that business and grew it. And then some company out of Texas wanted it. So I sold it in December. It was great. I always wanted to sell a company because it's an ob a company is an obligation. Like you know what I mean? It's like you build this company, but then you have to work there and you have to run it. Because my company, I, my place is small. I don't have anybody. I'm stuck being the CEO. Like it's like any small business entrepreneur guy. Like I don't have a Harvard MBA here to run things for me. I have to, you know, show up most days and do it. So when someone offers to buy your company, it's like a mini retirement. So I was really excited. So did they just, uh, hey, we want to buy it. Here's a number. And you're like, okay. Or what was the process like? They were, Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, it went on for like six months. But uh, so it was long and drawn out. But the gist of it was they uh, they said, hey, we're, are you interested in selling your company? And they approached like with an attorney, you know. And I said, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, everything's for, I've always said everything's for sale. And they wanted. Um, you learned that from uh, you learned that from the million dollar man, right? From I, wrestling. I, yeah. yeah, I learned it from you. I think Rob. everyone's got a price. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Um, and I, and they said, well, 
I said, do you want to buy the whole company? Because that's kind of weird. You know, they were in the gun industry. And they said, no, no, we just want the bulletproof vest company. I said, well, it's part of this big thing. And then they said, can you break out all of the financials to say this is what the bulletproof vest company costs to run? And I said, yeah, we probably can figure it out. So that took us like a month to do. You know, we wanted to make sure they were more serious before I did all that work. But they seemed pretty serious. So and they asked what price I wanted. And I told them. And then we um, we negotiated a little further, and um, and then they were like, "We think we can offer you the price you asked for." But the, the problem was the business was jumping ahead; it was going gangbusters. So I was like, "Oh man, I named like a number, and now like when I named the number, we were selling this many vests a month, but now we're selling this many vests a month." So I tried to like, I asked my entrepreneur buddies and my private equity friends, like, can I go back and ask for more money? Even though they said they'd take my offer and they said, you can do it once, but don't try to get rich. So I was like, <laughs> okay. So I got a slight increase because the business was doing so well. And then they, um, they paid us like 80% of the money right away. That was it. No, oh, wow, wow. The other 20% I'll get this December, like 12 months later. Now, now they didn't, they didn't, you have to, to stay, stay on, on for like, like six, six months, months or what was the, what was that process? My company ran the business for about 45 days while we didn't own it. And then um, the people, they're in Texas. The people in Texas came up a couple of times to see like what we were doing. They came up one time during the negotiation period, but it was COVID, like they couldn't even travel. So we ran it for about 45 days and then we... Um, shipped like half the company down there and then ran it for another 10 days until the stuff got to Texas. And then they took it over. Then we shipped the other half of it down. And then I drove down there and uh, worked with them for like a week. And then now I'm still like on call with them. Yeah. I was gonna say, I still follow them online. I still see them doing stuff. So yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, me too. They seem like they're doing a good job with it. So I don't know all the ins and outs of the day to day. And I, I know that they had some, they have engineers down there that were going to make some slight product tweaks. And so mm-hmm. I haven't seen the product in person in about six months, but I hear good things. I still, I'm still socially friends with a couple of my old customers stores that sold the product. So I, I, I think they're doing really well. Did the baseball cap uh, ever fly? Cause I remember it was yeah. a cool idea. Yeah. We sold um, how many base cars? They probably sold over a thousand of those things. Okay. And then my son invented a bulletproof bandana. So it's like a bandana. It goes over like a like a, goes over from your eyes down, covers your neck. And it's a really like when he came up with the idea, I was like, that's a good idea. And that continues to sell. My son and I have the patent on it. So that's pretty cool. I had to buy him out, like <laughs> in order to. Sell. How heavy? How heavy is that? It's not that heavy. It's uh, it's soft armor and maybe weighs like a pound and a quarter. Oh, okay. It's pretty cool, and it's it was really easy to manufacture. It's one flat piece, like mm. a scarf, you know, like kind of a elongated triangle. I remember seeing uh, the like a kid's school backpack that was bulletproof, and it's like how yeah. far society has yeah. sunk when. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah, you're solving the wrong problem in that situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. You're solving it. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, to be honest, perfectly honest with you, one of the reasons why I sold that company was I wasn't that keen on like the whole gun industry. Like I didn't, I never really felt like um, I had anything in common with all the people, all the customers and uh, other retailers and other manufacturers and, I, like I'd go to trade shows and I'd be like, it's not my people, you know, they're just not my people. So, so when I got the opportunity to sell the company, I figured culturally it was better for me personally to sell it. No, I get that. I totally my get that. Employees were thrilled when I sold it. Really? So happy. Yeah. The, uh, the gun people are, are a tough nut to crack for a customer service. Ah, they, you know, they're, you can imagine. I mean, you know, they're alpha males, of course. You know, they couldn't possibly be wrong. Well, I mean, the fact that I think your price barrier was ridiculously low. Everybody complains about Karens in this world, you know? Yeah. But there's a lot of Brads and Chads out there. And uh, Brads and Chads threaten to kill you if their shit doesn't arrive, <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> like you, just some weird dudes. And then, I will Google you, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I hate to say this publicly, but police officers are make for tough customers as well. They really, really do. They cannot understand that they can't get it exactly the way they want it at the lowest price possible. I was going to say, if if I'm not mistaken, you were in the 300-ish range and most normal vests are in the 1,500-ish range? Bullet Safe was the best value in the business. Our vest was $299. And the average police vest was $870. Okay. Police officers, they're just not business people. They've never been in business. They don't understand business. They don't get it. They would ask, like, why don't we have the same feature that their $870 vest does? And you'd say, oh, well, you, it's not affordable at this price. And then look at you like you were crazy. Well, what do you mean? Just sew, sew it on there. You know? Like, why doesn't my Kia have uh, autopilot like my Tesla? They just, they're not the type of people to understand it because it involves them. They think it's a personal affront to them. Well, you don't. You also don't think you think you. It's like, yeah, okay, I get you protect the public, but I don't ask for extra money. You don't get extra stuff. Sure, it seems. Yeah, you want the fancy rims? It's going to be twenty more bucks a month on your lease. You know, yeah. Yeah, just but they don't pay for anything. They don't pay for anything to use. Police officers. They don't pay for their car. They don't pay for their gun. They don't pay for their body armor. They don't pay for their uniforms. All of that stuff is just given to them. They show for work and you get all the stuff to do your job. Sure. So then they don't understand that someone has to, you know, pay for it. Like, well, the fact that they have to even wear one for their day job just speaks okay. volumes again. Yeah, and know. that's the other thing. Like, I felt bad for them. Like, you, you do deserve to be protected. I get it, you know, but, but like, you don't, but, the, and that's what we did do. We did offer all the protection. But you don't get all the luxuries for that price. No, I get that. Yeah. So, you know, again, the pro now, you know, you launch another company slash product. So yeah. So then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm almost jobless, you know? Like, <laughs> and um, the other thing was people say this, I never really figured it out. I've been in business 23 years. I never figured this out until much later. And that is good people are worth everything. Smart people that make good that have good decision making abilities are the key ingredient to any company. And I had assembled a team I really liked. So when I sold the company, I was like, oh, like I gotta keep these folks around, you know. So I need to start another company. That was kind of the deal. So what's, I mean, what's that process? Like you were, you know, you were, were talking offline a little bit, some books. I mean, are you, is it formulaic? What it's, is um, It's a bit, it's, uh, it's this process. Um, when I worked at Ford, I wrote business plans and the process is you have, you have to have a thousands of ideas or hundreds of ideas and you have to have a system to filter out which idea is the best idea. I used to work for this guy, Germinder Betty. He was like the smartest dude I probably ever met whole life and he was at ford he was like a vp at ford and i think now he runs like a mutual fund or something but he's probably retired by now because probably like but his saying was in order to have one great idea you need a hundred ideas and a way to figure out which one is the best and that's my that's been my driving saying for the last 23 years because anybody can come up with a business idea every person you know has a business idea the problem is they don't know if it's a good idea or if it's a bad idea or what. But if you have a hundred ideas, you can kind of rank them against each other and figure out what to do. So we had um, 36 solid business ideas and we had to decide which one to do. So the way that we filter through them is we start to run a business, write a business plan for each one cover all the aspects of the company. What's the product? What's the customer? What's the motivation? What's the sales process? What's the marketing look like? You know, and all of that kind of jazz. And then we weighed like, what's my company good at? And 
what do we have strength in and where do we see the future going? Because this is supposed to be a future product. So, and the future part of it is what I wanted to talk about to you because I thought it would apply for your listeners. Does that make sense, Bob? Sure. Okay, so I read two great books and I'll share. Actually, I wrote, read one great book and one book that was smart, but I think the guy was slightly wrong. The first book I read is called The Longevity Economy. And The Longevity Economy is all about how people are staying alive so much longer than they used to. And the people who are staying alive are the people that have money. So they make the most significant difference to the economy, right? I hate to say it, but when someone who doesn't have a lot of money doesn't live longer, it doesn't make as much difference as when multimillionaires live longer. Because they get what they want. People with money drive business, economy, and consumer behavior. So um, this business was by a guy named Joseph Coughlin, and he runs the Age Lab at MIT. When I worked at Ford, they brought him in. He's an expert on how as people age, how their behavior changes, how their vision changes, how their bodies change, everything. He made this suit. It was an exoskeleton that you could wear, and it would restrict your movements as if you were an old person. And I was at Ford. They brought it in. You put on the suit, and then you would try to get into a car with the suit on when you couldn't move your neck. And then they'd say, okay, uh, use the rearview mirror and back up the car. And you couldn't move your neck. You're, like, stuck there with no neck movement. So, and this type of thing, this was 20 years ago. Now, this is type of thing has brought on the rear view camera and the blind spot protections thing on your car. All of these things are, they're convenient for you and me, but they're essential for people that are old. So. I just, I'm just shocked that there's an age lab at MIT. Yeah. So it's an age lab. Yeah. So this guy, Joseph Coughlin, it took me two years to read this guy's book because he is the world's worst writer with the world's best facts. It was awful, Bob. I hated every moment of reading this book, but I dog-eared half the pages to like go back and re- read that fact again. But the truth of the matter is, people are living much, much longer lives. And um, we're not, the US isn't leading in this, in this realm. Japan leads in this realm, because the Japanese diet has been great for a while, so the, um, Japanese people are living a long time, you know, like in the U S we got antibiotics and they allowed us not to die from every ailment that comes along like pneumonia, but we eat a bunch of fried foods and terrible stuff. So we die of heart disease. Whereas in Japan, antibiotics and all those things that came around in the forties and fifties have created all these people that live into their eighties, nineties, hundred years old, over a hundred. And Japan also has a low birth rate, and, and they have zero immigration. You, you cannot immigrate into Japan. So if you live to be 100 years old, your, kid, your child is probably 80 years old. Your <laughs> grandchild is probably 60 years old. And those two can't take care of you. And your great-grandchildren, have no, you have no connection with them. So you can't live in the family home with your children. You know? So something has to happen. Something has to take care of these people. And that's what this is all about. Like, what's going to happen? So what's going to happen in the United States when we all start living to be 70, 80, 90 years old? You know? Well, what's median age right now? Is it 78, I think? Uh, yeah, I think life expectancy is 78. But if you make it to 50, so you've made it to 50 yet? I made it No, I got two more years. But if you make it to 50, your life expectancy goes up to like 85. Okay. Because 78 is the life expectancy. A lot of those people die in adolescence or a foolishness, you know? Sure. So if you made it to 50, you'll make it further. Whereas, yeah, because let's face it. I mean, it's rare for someone. It used to be like when I was a kid, people's dads were dying, you know, of heart attacks. Like that wasn't uncommon. Nowadays, like, you know, 
They know the signs. I had a friend who on Facebook, his Apple Watch told him he was gonna, he was having a cardiac event. What? Apple Watch told him to go to the hospital. And he went to the hospital and they were like, yeah, you're having like a defibrillation heart attack. Just from his heart rate or what? It- yeah, his heartbeat was all over the, all going crazy. That's bananas. I've never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. Do you have an Apple Watch? I don't. I almost bought one. I almost sold my, I have like a fancy watch. I was like, I swear, I, I I still think about it. Like, I should get an Apple Watch just for that. He saved this guy's life. He was going to go home. He was like, I thought I just didn't feel well. I was just going to go home and rest. That guy could have gotten to sleep and never woke up. I love my Apple Watch. Yeah, see? So, that, so anyway, these type of technologies are going to make us live even longer. And that it hasn't even begun to, like, a, to, the, the difference is enormous. So, but what are we going to do with those years? You know, here's another thing, Bob. When you were a kid, right? You're how much? How old? How much older are your parents than you? My dad's going to be eighty this year. So he's thirty. He's thirty something years old. Yeah. So and I'm, were, my firstborn was th- I was thirty one when my first daughter was born. So. Oh yeah, so similar. Okay. Do you own a bicycle? You're a bigger guy, but you own a bicycle. There, it's in the garage. Yeah. Ask wife, me when I've used it. Your wife have one? Yes. Yeah, does she ride hers? No. No? Well, you know, a lot of you have friends that ride bikes, though, right? Very few. Really? You don't have any mountain bike buddies or anything like mm. that? It's common, though. Kayak, yeah. kayak, paddleboard, mountain bike, all of this stuff. When you were a kid and you were 14 and your dad was 30, 47, 48, did your dad have a bike? It was hanging upside down in the garage, but it yeah. was there. You ever see him ride it? No, God, no. Nope. But you can go out to any place where there's like a bike trail now, and you'll see like 60-year-old people, 70-year-old people riding bicycles. And those are, these people are doing youthful things way later than our parents did. Well, I mean, I just look at, you know, me being 48, and we always laugh. Could you imagine coming home? And your father's hosting a podcast, then playing Call of Duty with his buddies, right. and then then eating Gino's pizza rolls for for late night. You <laughs> <You're know. right. laughs> our, our youth is so much longer now, and youthful behavior is so much longer. There's an interesting story in the longevity economy about the Trek. I think it's Trek makes it. It's a bicycle called the Townie, and the Townie bicycle is a bicycle made for older people. It's got like tall handlebars and it's got an extra comfortable seat. And you know how girls' bikes used to have a low step over? Yeah. It's a low step over. It's not shaped for girls quite, but there's like kind of suspect, you know? But it's this bicycle and they designed this bike for like the over 60 year old people. It has like hybrid tires so it can go on gravel, but it's smooth on the pavement or whatever. Is it a bike bike or a three wheeler? No, it's a bicycle. And they brought this bicycle. They thought they were going to sell for like $400. And when they showed it to people, the people, like they went out to the 60-year-old crowd and said, what do you think of this bike? And the people were like, oh, I like the big saddle. And I like that I can step over and get on it, you know, because they're getting older. You can't lift your leg as far. And they were like, but I would never buy a $400 bike. That's, uh, you know, I'd buy it. I'm, I'm, I, I have money. Like I, I don't, I'm not interested in $400 bike. I, let me know when it's 1500, you know, I want more features. So they basically didn't change shit on the bike. They probably changed a few things and they priced it at 1200 bucks and they sell like crazy. Oh, you know what I'm surprised? I'm surprised what never took off is the adult big wheel. Everyone always talks about it and someone always tries to come out with one and it never takes off. Right. I remember when I was a teen, Gallagher had like an enormous one. Yeah, yeah, totally remember that. <laughs> that was pretty badass. You could go really so, big and ride a penny farthing. Yeah, penny farthing. Good one. That's a word you don't hear every day. Um, yeah, uh, so so there's just really good stuff in this book about the longevity economy, and we really need to consider what is going to ha- happen. Oh, here's the other thing. The most brilliant thing in the book, though, is this, that as like a product developer, Bob, you create tools that people use, Right. Um, as someone who creates things that people use or makes changes to things that people find valuable, here's the deal. Like 
if you're skilled, if it's something takes a special skill or a lot of work or a lot of brain power, especially the people that are good at those things usually get paid well enough that they retire fairly early. So for example, computer programmers, right? App developers. Let's talk about, just say an app developer, right? If you're an app developer, you probably make a good amount of money. Mm-hmm. You probably quit if you're not an idiot and you save the money. You can quit when you're 60 years old. Right? Sure. And so probably by the time people are 65 years old, every, no, there's no app developers left. Like, I don't think you're going to find an app developer over 65 years old. But people inherently design products for themselves. Like the best, a lot of apps come out as some guy said, oh, I really need this app to do this thing for myself. And he designs it for that. But what no one does is no one says, I want to develop an app for 75-year-old people. There's nobody left. The 75-year-olds cannot do it. They don't have what it takes. Or if they're smart enough to do it, they have enough money where they don't need to do it. And that gives a huge glut of talent and skill in this longevity economy. And rather than doing your next project, this is what, what so now I'm going to personalize it. So then I realized rather than doing my next project for a product that would be good for me, I would do my next project for a product that would be good for elders. Because I'm 51 years old and I'm the oldest person that will probably be able to develop a new product for that crowd. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you looking forward to being uh, the only guy in the nursery, nursing home that can sing two live crew lyrics? Right. I am. right. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually more of a um, Sir Mix-a-Lot. Ah, fair, fair. <laughs> yeah, but two live crew. Um, yeah. So, the, so it's really interesting, this, this book, like all these people living a long time, some of them, not, some of them have no money, which is really sticky. And some of them have lots of money. There's well, it a- seems like not to, not to cut in, but it seems like the only things that they bring out for old people is the, like the bullshit infomercials. And it's like, Hey, look, there's a cell phone and the numbers are each the size of my hand. And it's, you know, it's, 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 to me, it's like just garbage stuff. Let me tell right? you, something. that cell phone, what's it called? A June bug or jitterbug? I think it's a jitterbug, yeah. That thing's hugely successful. And then not only does that company sell you the phone with the giant numbers, but they bake in the whole package. Like you don't have to, you don't go to the Verizon store to get your service. You get it through jitterbug. So they're making it on every way to Sunday. The other product that's really wild to me is these emergency call buttons. Yep. You know, the ones you wear around your neck, that business is bonkers. Like it is really pervasive. Those are the commercials. Uh, yeah. They, that is not like a, a product that should be taken lightly. Like you think, oh, there's probably, how many people do you think in the U.S. have one of those? Like I would think like, I don't know, 50,000, 100,000. I would go three to five million yeah that that's like a number like that three to five million so those people paying what thirty dollars a month you're talking 150 million dollars in revenue a month jeez dollar business it's like call of duty wild and the, the technology behind it hasn't changed in years you know no it's just what is it just push out a like a sms or it's like, why aren't these people wearing Apple watches? You know? Yeah. Call 911 from their watch. They're Imagine wearing- the size that you need for the Apple watch. They could read the numbers or read the. But I mean, they're wearing this crazy pendant around their neck that ties. Yeah. The box looks like an answering machine from the 90s, you know? And then right. they need a landline phone to run it. I mean, it's it's so crazy. I bought my uh, bought my dad. He's you know he's seventy nine right now. I bought him a Google Home for Christmas, uh-huh. and it's the greatest thing that he's ever gotten. He just to ask it what the weather is, and then like play polka, you know. So like he, he like ties in the music, you know. Yeah. He's got my uh, my kid's soccer schedule on the thing, you know. Good, yeah. So I mean, yeah, he just you know one time the Wi Fi went down or something, and he was like lost, you know. When I got it back running, and 
He's yeah, static issues with it, but but a fantastic device. Um, I have uh, I have a father-in-law, my dad, and my mom are still alive, mm. and um, they all live independently, separately. And my father-in-law, mother, and my mom have iPads, and let me tell you, they require no technical support whatsoever. The iPad. My dad has a laptop. And he just came to visit for the first time in 12 months. And he had three laptops with him because he had got all three of them locked up. And I kid you not, two of them, the reason it was locked up, he could not remember the password to open Windows when you turn on the computer. (laughs) The password, like the main screen password to log in as himself. And he hadn't set it up. He had set it up to not allow guests. I mean, it's like, and it will allow you to do unlimited tries because it's not securing anything interesting. Right. I sat there with him for at least an hour and a half. I had to call my sister. What's dad's password? Just forever. Nothing. Couldn't do it. My dad's on his seventh Facebook profile and his fourth Gmail address. Right. It's just, yeah. So uh, does he have an iPad? No. Does he have a computer? Yes. Yeah. I'm telling you the iPad because they can't install so- they they can't they'll never figure out how to install software on it. You know, and you can't really do much with it. They can't screw it up, but they can push and scroll for pictures of their drink. One of my favorite stories of my dad was when I introduced him to streaming radio. Uh-huh. He um he basically started playing radio stations from Germany. He's an immigrant, right? Yeah, yeah. He's playing German radio. So what does he do? He finds the red and white on the PC, wires it through the basement into the living room, into the CD player, uh-huh. and then puts in a CD and then would burn six-hour copies and then take them to Euchre at the German club and hand them out to people. It was like currency. <laughs> and he absolutely loved doing it. Like every day he would make a couple of them. He'd listen to the radio all day. That's funny. And I'm like, why did you just tell them which streaming radio station so they can listen? He goes, hey, you know, he had more fun doing it this way. Yeah, yeah, they just, they get the CDs, they understand. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there is something to this idea that there's simplicity involved, you know, like that these things need to be fairly easy to use, but they have to serve the purposes of the, the client base. And you have to put your, you have to understand the customer and be sympathetic to them. That's not hard. I mean, you don't have to spend time in the nursing home to build products for the nursing home, but you have to understand what's going on. So, so the, um, so uh, I don't, oh, we haven't told the audience what the new company is. So the new company is called dignity lifts. And what it is, is they're called toilet lifts and they are essentially, if you've ever seen one of those recliner chairs that your grandpa can sit on and push a button and it lifts him up and puts it back on his got one for my dad when he had his double knee replacement. Yeah. Uh, it is that device, but for your toilet seat. And the reason why a toilet seat is a good idea because your toilet seat goes lower than your recliner chair. And a lot of people, if they sit on the toilet seat too long, they get stuck there. Their legs can fall asleep, and bathroom falls are dangerous for when you get older. So. I could have, uh, so I had knee surgery, big long, you know, hospital for a month, sepsis, all that. Um, I'm not going to lie, I would have, if you would have had. <laughs> I would have bought one for me. Right. Or rented one. You could have rented one. Medical yeah. available for rental. Um, yeah. The, uh, the other thing one of these books talked about is uh, one of the root causes for death. Now, not the cause, but one of the root causes when you're older is a fall. So when you fall, when you're older, um, it you don't get killed by the fall. But these are the things that make you bedridden because you heal so much slower in your 80s. So you'll be bedridden. You won't be able to move. Your cardiovascular health dwindles. You can get bed sores or sepsis like you you had an issue with. Infections, you end up spending time in a hospital and you have a weakened immune system. These falls really can very quickly lead to your demise. So... um, so fall prevention is a good way to live a long time, keep your balance and to stay away from dangerous situations. So. No, I mean, I could see, you know, you could probably, you probably saw it too. That's why you kind of came up with it was like, you know, this has got to be a thing in nursing homes, right? Like 
thing. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I mean, the other, and we think it's going to be a thing in people's homes because the wealthiest Americans will never end up in a nursing home. No. Well, that was the, the running joke with me is because you know, my house is full of stairs. Yeah. And when I had, you know, I was basically sleeping on my recliner for six months. Um, so everybody's like, you need the poltergeist chair to go upstairs. Right. You know, I'm like, I'm not installing the poltergeist chair, you know? Yeah. You've heard the joke, right? That thing drives me up a wall. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so there's a whole thing going on. It's a very fascinating book, the longevity economy. And then the other book I read was called the industries of the future. And this is another very intelligent guy. I think he's from John Hopkins or something. And he's, you know, one of these um, researchers. Oh, and he was um, that he was like Hillary Clinton's innovation czar or something like that. So he's he's well well knowledgeable guy. But he, and, you know, Harvard Business School, all that. So he picked five businesses of the future. You want to hear what they are? Love to. And it has a lot to do with the longevity economy. One is advanced life science. So this is, you know, like genomics and that type of thing, things to keep us living longer. And, you know, like obviously the book was written before the COVID happening, but these type of things, these advanced life sciences are very important. Vaccines, RNA and the DNA and all that kind of thing. Um, That is not my skill and trade. I ignored that chapter. I read it. Um, one thing was the codification of money. So this is um, the, the move away from paper money and into a world. Of, a couple of things driving it. You might think immediately codification of money like cryptocurrencies. Yeah. There's more to it in that um, pretty soon we're going to have to eliminate like all the arbitrage that goes on between uh, the euro and the U.S. dollar and all that sort of stuff how it gets traded back and forth and the currencies really float on each other and that type of thing. And that business hasn't really gotten very well um, uh, integrated. So what do they call it? Forex trading? Forex. I don't know what that is. I don't know that. I thought that was just like a, yeah, I think, you know, that's the foreign exchange trading. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's still done like by individuals and, and, and governments. It's not as um, codified as you would think. It should be automatic in a way, but it's not. So sure. he thinks that is a big um, future change. We'll probably never notice a difference. In I, but but right. uh, uh, cybersecurity, of course, you know, and that affects everything from, you know, small businesses, big businesses, governments, um, local governments. Basically, anybody these days who's working is going to be affected by it. I mean, it can affect. You know, it could affect our automobiles. Everything these days has some, you know, computerized component. So it's scary when some business's database gets hacked. But what happens if someone figures out how to hack every Chevy Silverado? Well, that was uh, one of the, I think it was what, Randy, like three years ago or so, we were talking to someone that was heavy in the auto industry. And they said, basically, it's software that's running these, you know, the the whole car, it's it's coders. They were yes. talking about putting the uh, the specially crafted CD into the stereo, and it would take over the drive system or something like that. Really? Wow. Yeah, it was like a flaw in a Jeep or something like that that you yeah, could put in a malformed disc. Yeah, I remember someone figured out how to get through a Jeep, but I think they just had time with it, you know, and some experience with the system. But sure. I, so cybersecurity is going to be a big, big thing. Um, big data. Like there's all this data being collected about us, about everybody, and the analysis of that data and how it can be used in marketing and behavioral science and sales and all of that sort of stuff and and driving us to sell more or to, I mean, there's so much, like everybody talks about like redlining and, and, uh, you know, like uh, underwriters, you know, not insuring certain people, but those people have access to the data that tells them like, don't underwrite that guy's loan. He won't pay, you know, and they can know with like a really high certainty that to stay away from that person, you know, and the more data science that gets involved in these decisions, the more profit for these institutions and the more they avoid trouble, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Like if you were in the business of writing loans, and I told you I had a system that can you can go from one out of every thousand people default on the loan to one out of every million. It's a huge difference. And you don't consider it unfair. What's unfair is someone borrowing money and not paying it back. So sure. it can be totally justified to do all this data analysis. So that's another thing. And then the one thing he predicted, which I think is total baloney, because I think he was so close, but he got it wrong, was he thinks robotics are going to be the future. And he mentioned that elderly population is going to need all sorts of assistance in the homes. You know, like starting with Japan and moving into, um, I forget what other countries are high. I think Italy is very high in this longevity without, oh, oh, China is really high. Here's why. Because remember how they went with the one child policy? Yep. Okay. So that was like 40 years ago, right? Sure. So, um, so 40 years ago, you had a kid, right? And that kid, you had one child. So you and your wife had one child and then um, someone else had a, you had a son, someone else has a daughter, that guy and his wife have a daughter. Now they get married, right? So there's four grandparents to the one, to the couple and they have one kid. So now they've got one kid with four grandparents, right? That kid has to find another person to have a kid. So that great-grandchild now has eight great-grandparents for every one child. How's that going to work? What's going to happen when they're elderly? Right. They have one-eighth of a grandchild. Less Christmas presents to buy, you know? Yeah, right. Well, in China, you can see it. If you go to the park, there's like... People, they, they call these kids the little princes. Have you ever heard that term? No. They call the children little princes, little princesses and little princes, because they have four grandparents doting over them. Ah. At any park, you can see a kid, a baby stroller, and you'll see a, like a four grandparents put like helping to push it. The two couples have to get along because they fight over this one. Sure. The one grandchild. Actually, on my, uh, my mom's side, her sister... Uh, she's the great, there's five generations of girls on the, on that side of the, uh, going all the way down. So she's a great, great grandma. Great, great grandma. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, she had, she didn't have one kid who had one kid who had one kid. No, 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 no. My, my grandmother had eight kids and she had 32 grandkids. Oh my God. So when she got $5 bills for Christmas. yeah, Yeah, that's right. But when she was old and she needed help. You know, if she needed a couch moved, yeah, you call anybody. Right. Whereas these grandparents, they're going to need the couch moved, and that kid's going to be like, um, I can get to you in December. You know. So, so something has to happen to take care of these people when they get older. Sure. And there's, um, they either going to have money or they're going to have to have something. So this gentleman, he predicted that robots would do it, like Rosie from the Jetsons. I mean, we do have a Roombas. Yeah. Well, see, my prediction isn't it's a, a robot in the house. He thinks, like, literally, you're going to have a humanoid robot that helps you around your house. Whereas, see, I, I would almost think, like, almost like exoskeletons are going to be before, like, an intelligent robot in the house. Yeah, and I think you'll see maybe some of that for movement issues. Right. Too. There was talk. I read something about exoskeletons because a lot of times a lot of elderly people have nerve pain. It's not muscular, you know issues it's mobility and nerves so an exoskeleton that bends your neck for you when it hurts is not going to be a good thing right sure yeah but um what i think you're what i think you're going to see my prediction now i'm going to be the futurist is that you're just going to see a number of little appliances that make your day-to-day life easier just small little things like the Roomba, right yeah like an automatic cleaning toilet like a bidet like everybody talks about bidets now they have the toilet that washes your bum Look, that's great for you and me who want it for cleanliness purposes. But when you get to a disability where you can't wipe yourself, you know, because maybe you had a stroke, so you can't lean with one side, but, you know, moving to one side. So a bidet becomes like a, not just like a luxury, but sort of a daily necessity. Yeah, they had one in uh, my hotel in Tokyo. I decided to give it a try. And then three hours later, I figured out it was kind of nice, you know. It was yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. 
And we have one at home. I got one of those. Yeah, three hours later. We have we I got like if you go to Home Depot for ninety nine dollars, you can get the toilet seat that has the bidet in it. Yeah, yeah. And then we we needed a new toilet seat, so I got that thing. I love that thing. That was one of the weirdest commercials ever. Was the uh was it the like the six thousand dollars smart toilet and all the robots wanted to watch the guy take a crap? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have a buddy <laughs> that built a mansion, he had like the five thousand dollar toilet. It has a heated seat, it has a light, a motion sensitive light, and it uh, warms the water and then it blow dries your butthole. Jeez. And, it, and it's like, this is, you know, is it worth six grand? Yeah. So, but it was nice. I tried it. See the, the, I thought the Roomba for the lawn, I thought was going to take off and that I think they tried it and it failed. Oh, it's hard. My sister has, is on her second one. It's so like, I would love to have one, but my yard is so complex. It can't possibly work, you know? Like you'd have to set up like seven different zones. Just not really, not really a thing. My sister was trying to get my son, who's who's 16 now, who was 14. She said, you should start a business where you program people's remote lawnmowers for them. Sure. I was like, you know. See, now the problem is every house they build is multi-story. Right. Because, you know, up, not up. I have a three-story house for crying out loud. Right. Um, you know, nobody makes a ranch anymore. And if you do, you have a basement, you know, you make ranches. So down in Florida where people retire. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like the, all these houses and all these ranch homes are, that's where the, that's another thing coming from the longevity. Economy. Have you heard of this place, the villages? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's there awesome. was a, one of the early, uh, Joe Biden videos. He was drunk on a river singing the villages song. Oh really? Like, this is like before he was the VP of, I'll send it to you, Randy. Um, it was going around when he was running as VP, like uh-huh. way back when, and it still exists. I actually just saw it the other day. I didn't know there's a song for the villages. It was like the villages. Yeah. I'm sure there's a song and dance. <laughs> so at the villages, you can't, they have golf cart paths because all the people lose their license because they're too old to drive. But sure. They still set them free in the golf carts. And those places are all ranches. Right, the last thing those places needed was Viagra too. So yeah, put put wine and golf carts and Viagra together. Yeah, VD runs through those places like wildfire. Really? Yeah, yeah. Clap the whole bit. Yeah. But yeah, that's. I mean, if you look at you know the biggest hindrance, I look at like you know I'm trying to take my dad for example, two replaced knees, crazy arthritis in the knuckles, like just just you know getting through the day, you know. It is yeah. is just it's just a freaking challenge. It's a challenge, you know. It's really a challenge. And then, like, you know, what what happens in the end? You know, like you can. I have a brother who had a he has an artificial heart. Thought. He had a heart attack, didn't treat it, and they put what's called an LVAD. Dick Cheney had one. It's like a mechanic. okay, but he had a stroke as well when they put it in. So he lost like a lot of his executive functioning, and he's paralyzed on his left side. So he's in his early 50s, but he lives in a nursing home. He basically, he had a bit of money, but the medical expenses ran through it all, and now he's on Medicaid. So that's it. Like His life is in a nursing home room hooked to a mechanical heart. That's it. Wow. And it's wild. He's been at it four and a half years, and he I don't think he can die. Like, I don't think there's a physical way right now that he can die because blood is continually pumped through his body. So that thing will never, the the life site, the... Like, what happens is once in a while, he'll get, like, a blood clot, clot starts to form, and it's, they know because it slows the pump down. Oh, no, the pump requires, the pump has a constant speed. It requires more amperage to pump the blood. And they'll they they know it, and they'll bring him to Beth Israel Hospital in Boston, which is Harvard Medical School's hospital, and they'll pump some antibiotics and anticoagulants in him. And you know, two weeks later, he'll be back in the nursing home. So when when was this? I want to like yeah, when was this invented? Because we're gonna start hearing about it if somebody lives to like one twenty. Well, that, I'm not. I'm just using it as an example. Elvad's been around, I think, for about twenty years. Dick Cheney had one. Yeah, put in while he was vice president. He still has it today, I guess. I think he's still alive, Dick Cheney. I think he is too. 
But Dick Cheney's is, um, you can live with one of these things. Like, it looks like the battery pack of, like, a Makita drill. And you can carry, you carry it around in a pouch, and there's two ba- batteries, and, or you can plug it in. Now, my brother, because he had a stroke, he can only get around with a wheelchair, so he doesn't go anywhere. But Dick Cheney's been walking around with his for 20 years. Well, once the, you know, once the terrorists hit, hit us with an EMP bomb, you know, that's. Yeah. But so uh, the, the thing that makes this whole thing interesting is that medically we can keep these people alive really for a long time. Sure. Every nursing home is full of patients that are long past living, but they're still alive. So that's another whole question and an ethical issue is at what point, you know, does, does this become unsustainable? Like the people with money, the people who retire with $50 million, they're going to live a nice life, you know? But what about the people that retire on Medicaid, you know, and they're in a shared room in a nursing home? How long do you keep them? Like someone has to decide at what point. That's scary. Yeah. Definitely a decision that I do not want to make. But you know, I mean, that's, that's what um, they were talking about the tax, uh, the how Social Security is getting taxed because of that. You know, they weren't expecting people to live as long as they're living. And yeah. Right. right, right. I think Jack Kevorkian might have been onto something long ago, you know? Right. He was such a weirdo that nobody followed him. You know, if that, if they'd been sort of more charismatic, you know, like I think Oregon or Washington State has like a law that allows you to euthanize yourself, right? Should have made a game show about it or like, or a Netflix documentary, then it'd be totally acceptable. Right. Sooner or later, I think we have to come to terms with our ability to, stay alive, you know, or to keep other people alive. Well, that was the George Carlin secret, secret to life, not dying. Right. Don't die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember that woman that was like, uh, they were trying to pull the plug and everybody was arguing over it. Was Remember? that Terry Shivo? Terry Shivo. Thank you. You're so wow. good. Wow. How did I, that just, <laughs> God. Terry Shivo. Yeah. And they kept showing like her picture from 30 years prior. Yeah. People are like, no, she weighs 70 pounds now, you know. She's right. Like, oh, it's just the whole thing. Awful. It made, it made good news and it got clicks and, you know, that's. Everything. People went crazy. Yeah. So, so anyway, my company, we decided toileting is something Priveco can do. We've sold your embarrassing things for years. We, we do things other people don't do. We have a smart team and we don't care if other people disrespect our profession. So we're in the toilet lifting business. Dignity. I, I could probably come up with 10,000 slogans. Uh-huh. You want to no. know our slogan? Yeah. Stand up for yourself. Fair. I'll come up with something. I'm sure. I want to do email them. It's got to, it's poop humor, obviously. Oh, right? Of course. I want all the jokes. At the trade shows where I stand there and I show people the lift, you know, usually I say, would you like to ride the world's worst roller coaster? <laughs> Very slow. It takes 20 seconds to stand you up. You can't stand people up too fast. I answer sure. Because they'll get lightheaded. Sure. There's people have health issues, you know. No, but that's, uh, you know, is that now, has that been done or um, yeah, there's other, there are other companies that have had toilet lifts before. Okay. Typically, it is a company that makes other products, like the biggest company in the business makes like wheelchair ramps and rollers and other things like that. And then they bought a small toilet lift company. Got it. I wasn't crazy about their product. So we have, we have, my company has three toilet lifts. So we're like covering the spectrum of toilet lift necessity. Small, medium, and large. Yeah, I like it. And, uh, inexpensive, deluxe, and then a commercial model. Like okay. facilities to use with mobile. Awesome. Well, you know, like I, it seems like every uh, week, you know, when we get to the end of this, we always say I could talk to you for 10 hours about this stuff. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you loose. I sincerely appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, Tom Nardone, you can find him on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find him at, uh, is it DignityLifts.com? DignityLifts.com. And then uh, Prive, is Priveco.com still available? Priveco.com still exists, but DignityLifts.com is a good one. You should, you should cross-promote Vibrators.com and DignityLifts. They have a little 
We do yeah. cross promote bachelorette.com and vibrators.com. Well, that is, you should. Yeah, it's the same audience. You can find a tie in for the Dignity Lift, so we'll figure that one out. Yeah, this, yeah. Uh, this two headed object is uh, quite interesting. <laughs> I don't even know which, which site are you? Oh, he's on, he's on the site. <laughs> um, but hey, Tom, uh, again, I can't thank you enough. Um, I'm going to reach out. We need to have a beer. It's been too long. Nice. Um, but um, hey, we're going to. COVID and time. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry I talked so much. No, that's your perfect guest. No, I can't thank you enough. I tried to I tried to bring a good lesson. Like I, I was like, I wanted to share about what I learned about elderly. And I think people out there that listen to this podcast are very intelligent. So maybe they can try to think of how their business can, you know, maybe think about doing something for this audience because there's money out there and nobody is meeting their needs. Yeah, and I think we can all relate too. Um, but yeah, we're going to end uh, episode 408. Can't thank Tom enough. Find him on LinkedIn. Find him uh, on all the websites we just said. On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.